You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's May 14th. How have American schools chosen to operate during the pandemic? And how might these choices affect students? To find out, Rand recently surveyed a nationwide group of more than 400 school district leaders. Their responses show stark differences between urban and rural districts. About 42% of rural school districts offered fully in-person instruction as of February, compared with only 17% of urban districts. Conversely, 29% of urban school districts offered fully remote instruction, compared with 10% of rural districts. The choice between in-person instruction and remote learning has important implications. Districts that offered remote instruction were especially likely to cut instructional time. In fact, more than one-third of districts that offered some form of remote instruction shortened their school day and about a quarter of them had reduced instructional minutes. Rural districts, which were primarily fully in-person or hybrid, did not decrease instructional minutes as often as urban districts. This suggests that students of color in urban school districts have likely lost more instructional time this year than their white counterparts in rural districts. To make up for potential learning losses during the pandemic, RAND researchers recommend that school districts focus on extending instructional time over the next several years. Never has the ability to work been in such obvious conflict with the need to care for children. And in this way, the pandemic has shown that decades of U.S. policy toward mothers may be misguided, says RAND economist Catherine Edwards. For the last 80 years, the government has distributed benefits to mothers by dividing them up based on many different factors, including marital status, work status, income, the presence of a boyfriend, the so-called legitimacy of their children, and drug use. All of this has missed the mark. More recently, new proposals have been put forth to provide mothers with child tax credits, sick time, paid family leave, and access to child care. These policies are not free, and there are plenty of objections to them. But according to Edwards, if the two million women who've left the workforce during the pandemic to care for their families don't return, then the economy will suffer. The potential economic gains of supporting mothers in the workforce are large and diffuse, she says. Quote, mothers could be the centerpiece of labor market recovery or the reason for its weakness. As state and local policymakers grapple with how to reopen their economies, RAND researchers are working to understand which strategies may work best. They used epidemiological modeling and high-powered computing to simulate 20,000 scenarios describing how vaccination and other disease mitigation measures could shape the pandemic in California. Then, they tested nearly 80 reopening plans under those 20,000 future scenarios. This experiment allowed the researchers to understand what would happen if California followed different reopening strategies. However, their findings may also be helpful to other states and countries. Generally, the best plans had several things in common. First, good reopening plans begin cautiously, 
It's important to be cautious about reopening in the early phases of the COVID-19 vaccination rollout because this is when the virus is most deadly. Waiting to impose restrictions allows the virus to spread more widely and can ultimately lead to longer periods of restrictions. Second, good plans encourage low-cost measures, such as mask-wearing indoors and voluntary social distancing. Third, good plans adapt as more people are vaccinated. If reopening is allowed before sufficient vaccine coverage is achieved, then new surges can undermine the vaccination efforts. Fourth, and finally, gradual approaches are better than abrupt changes. Gradual adjustments allow policymakers to better approximate the most effective policy for that particular time, whereas abrupt changes miss opportunities. What's more, gradual reopening allows states to cope with threats that might materialize later, such as the emergence of new COVID-19 variants. Determining the size of the U.S. defense budget requires balancing trade-offs. A larger budget provides more funds to promote and defend America's global interests, but it also reduces the funding available for domestic programs. A new RAND report explores these trade-offs by examining the relationship between defense spending and economic growth. Here are a few of the key findings. First, the authors found that prioritizing defense spending over infrastructure investment might undermine economic growth and therefore limit resources available for defense in the long run. Second, As public debt rises, there is a risk that defense spending might eventually have a damaging effect on economic growth, unlike during the Cold War when public debt was lower. And third, economic literature is not conclusive on how increasing taxes to maintain or increase defense spending would affect economic growth. Since his election in 2016, Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte has consistently made anti-U.S. and pro-Chinese declarations. But according to RAND's Derek Grossman, Duterte now recognizes, despite his rhetoric to the contrary, that China is not a friend to the Philippines. China's aggressive behavior in the South China Sea has made it virtually impossible for Duterte to push his pro-China and anti-U.S. agenda. In fact, it's likely that between now and the inauguration of his successor, Duterte will adopt a slightly tougher line on China and avoid implementing any new pro-China programs. And even though Duterte remains at his core opposed to the U.S. and is unlikely to wholly embrace America, Grossman says that the Philippine president is becoming less of a headache for Washington and more of one for Beijing. And that's a good thing for U.S. strategy in the Indo-Pacific. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.